Well, I've just had the thumbs up from the recording people that uh, we are on air now. Uh, the last session wasn't recorded, but uh, they've asked if I would just do a quick, I mean, literally a couple of minutes recap on where we were during the first session. I hope that you enjoyed your morning fix of caffeine. That's good. Uh, we were looking at the question in that first session, uh, what is healing? And I gave a definition of uh, really what is wholeness. I, I read from Mark chapter 2 and verses 1 to 12, where Jesus actually doesn't give the man what he wanted, but he gives him what he needed. And uh, <clears throat> my definition of wholeness, because Jesus not only wants to heal our bodies, he wants to make us whole. Uh, wholeness is living in the reality of regeneration without guilt, shame, or unworthiness, unhindered by demonic interference or manipulation, and enjoying physical well-being within the family of God. And I tried to unpack that a little bit by saying five things. Wholeness is entering into a living relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And secondly, wholeness is experiencing the reality that I'm a forgiven man or a forgiven woman. And thirdly, wholeness is knowing freedom from demonic interference and manipulation. And fourthly, wholeness is knowing the touch of Jesus on my body, my mind, my emotions, and my will. And fifthly, wholeness is ending isolation and loneliness and be being or becoming a living member of the family of God. Well, that's where we were during the first session and uh, where I wanted to move to during this session is to ask and hopefully answer the question, why did Jesus heal? Because if we can answer that question, uh, even if imperfectly, and I'm not uh, attempting to say that this is the perfect answer, but at least it's part of the answer, to the question, why did Jesus heal? If we know why he healed, then that will give us greater confidence to move into the healing ministry. Simply because, you see, my commitment is that uh, all of us need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's, that, that's a sort of underlying, as far as I'm concerned, an underlying given. I, that's not because I'm Pentecostal or because I'm charismatic, because I want to be biblical. And that's what the Bible teaches. But to be baptized in the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that you jump up and down and sing charismatic songs. I, I don't have any difficulty at all with that. But, uh, you see, the Holy Spirit has come to credit us with the risen life of Christ. What Jesus made possible on the cross, the Holy Spirit wants to make actual in our lives. And uh, 
I think the calling of God in our life is to give him what he died for. And so to ask the question, why did Jesus heal, is within that context. And so I don't have a biblical passage, but you'll notice from the notes that I gave you that uh, this whole session is steeped in Scripture. And I wanted to affirm that again. I know that that's how Pastor Philip has led the church over these many years. That whatever we believe here, and based on what we believe, how we behave here, is based on Scripture. And so I wanted to earth and uh, uh, make sure that the answer to this question is biblical. And there are six things that uh, I wanted to share in answer to the question, why did Jesus heal? I, I'll read the scripture. There won't be time for you to, uh, to look up the scripture, but could I ask you that uh, over the next day or two, that you would take time out and go to the Bible and not only read it, but write it down. I, something happens. Maybe it's just because I'm a bit slow. I don't know. But I, I find it much more helpful not only to read it, but to write it down. And uh, so I'd like you to write these scriptures down and then simply to reflect on them. You see, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to make us like the Son of God. Uh, and in fact, God didn't give us the Bible to increase our knowledge. God gave us the Bible to change our lives, to transform our living. So, why did Jesus heal? Number one, in order to express and demonstrate the nature and the character of God. In John chapter 4 and verse 34, Jesus says, my food, so this is how I exist is really what he's saying, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. You see, Jesus came not simply to redeem us. Jesus came to reveal God. There are these two aspects to the ministry of Jesus. He came to redeem us, but also to reveal God. See, part of the difficulty is that uh, we have a God who has no body. He's invisible. And that's tough on us because we've been brought up in, in uh, whatever our background and culture is, we've been brought up to believe that you discover reality with your five senses. If I can hear it, see it, smell it, taste it, or touch it, it's real. That's how the scientist works. That's how the technologist works. Reality is explored and ultimately defined by our five senses. But actually, as Christians, we have another sense. It's called faith. 
which enables us to reach beyond these five senses and still touch reality. Faith is the substance, huh? Substance. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's uh, Hebrews 11 and verse 1. That's the best evidence of faith that I know. So we could have a problem when, when we come to think about God. I think out there within our culture, that there's a problem here. And that's why we need constantly to point to Jesus. Because Jesus is God come in the flesh, made human. Uh, so God is, uh, has no body. He's invisible. Secondly, God has no birthdays. And that really phases, at least it phases me. Because he has no beginning and he's no ending. So, so I have a problem with that because I have a beginning, you have a beginning, and I will have an ending and so will you. So there's, we're, I find myself in my thinking, I very often am restricted to, to the, the space-time uh, context. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? So when, when I say God has no birthdays, he's eternal. Eternal doesn't mean endless time. It means outside time. So I'm stuffed when it comes to that. And so it's so important that uh, the, the nature and the character of God is demonstrated and displayed. Uh, and the third thing about our God, uh, hold on to this stuff, folks. Our God has no boundaries, no body, no birthdays, no boundaries. There are no boundaries to his knowledge. He knows everything about everything and everybody. So we can't pretend to God. I, and you see, I think this is so significant in the healing ministry. That there are lots and lots of people within our culture who think that they can live in a way that God doesn't see. And, and very often, if we get a bit concerned about that, we, we, we bury the reality in being very busy. Or, or getting drunk, or doing drugs, or, uh, or uh, being, being in, involved in, in, in some kind of sport, or whatever. And uh, in other words, we try to escape from this reality. There, there are no boundaries to God's knowledge. So we can't pretend to him. He knows anyway. Secondly, there are no boundaries to God's presence. Uh, we'll be noticing in, in the third session that God is as alive on the street as he is in the church. And we all, you see, I think we've domesticated the Holy Spirit. We, we've, we've wanted the Holy Spirit to operate within our boundary, within a building. That's, that, that, God won't allow that. He will be effective and real within a... Of course he does. Of course he is. But he's very effective out in the street. There are no boundaries to his knowledge. There are no boundaries to his presence. And there are no boundaries to his power. 
Way back uh, in the time of Abraham, and then again, way back in the, the time of Mary, the mother of our Lord Jesus. Uh, the, the, the question is asked, is anything too hard for God? Now, some of us who are involved in the ministry of healing have come to the conclusion. I mean, I, I've, folks, I've been there. I, I've seen somebody who obviously needs healing. I'm thinking to myself, oh, oh he doesn't come to me. Or she doesn't come to me to ask me. She looks or he looks way beyond anything that I have any experience of. Is, is anything too hard for God? The answer is no. But you see, our theology is right. But what about our experience? See, we're back where we were in the first session. So Jesus says, John 4 and verse 34, My food, the very thing that keeps me alive and nourishes me, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And then in John chapter 8, at verses 28 and 29, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, you will know that I am the one I claim to be. And I do, listen, listen, nothing. This is Jesus speaking. I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. Total, absolute, utter, comprehensive dependence on God. This is God come in the flesh. This is the Son speaking about his Father. And then in John chapter 9 and verse 4, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. That is our responsibility. So what is the nature and the character of God? I think best on a bit of paper. And I've I've written this down. Our God, you won't be able to write this down because I'm going to rattle through it, but I hope that you'll catch it. He penetrates darkness with his light. He shatters despair with his hope. He infiltrates sadness with his joy. He transforms weakness with his strength. He challenges poverty with his abundance. He defeats death with his life. He confronts inadequacy with his ability. He cleanses shame with his holiness. He invades disease with his healing. He exchanges doubt with his certainty. He eliminates fear with his love. And he neutralizes pain with his peace. That is our God. Amen. And we have been, hey, we have been called to minister in that reality, in the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus came to express and to demonstrate the nature and the character of God. I am. Uh, I read a book, oh, it must be the best part of 50 years ago, a book by a man called J.B. Phillips. He was an Anglican uh, vicar, and uh, he wrote a book called Your God is Too Small. And actually, I think that 
pretty well characterizes the, the, the contemporary church. I really don't care what the denomination is. I, I'm not a denominationalist personally, but I, I really don't care what, what color of uh, what stream that you're in. I think by and large, churches have a God who's too small. Hey, folks, we need the Holy Spirit, not simply to enable us to sing these great songs or, or even to, to speak in tongues. I, I love to spend time looking at that too. Believe that passionately, but that, that's another story. But we, we need the Holy Spirit to, to show us the bigness of God. Our God is big. J.B. Phillips says the trouble with so many people today is that they haven't found a God big enough for modern needs. That's true. I mean, we can fly at twice the speed of sound. Does God not know about that? I mean, we, we, can, we can put shampoo and conditioner in one bottle. We, we are smart people. Does God not know about that? I, I sent off uh, a, an email yesterday to, to, to Western America. And as I punched the button, send, it, I don't understand that. It went there. I got a reply within about 20 minutes. Hey, see, somehow or other, we feel that God is a bit backward and... Uh, Somehow or other, he hasn't caught up with where we're, <laughs> su we're such a smart bunch of people. The trouble with uh, J.B. Phillips, 50 years ago, he said, the trouble with so many people today is they, found, they haven't found a God big enough for modern needs. Well, their experience of life has grown in a score of directions. Their mental horizons have been expanded to the point of bewilderment by world events and scientific discoveries their ideas of God have largely remained static. It's obviously impossible, says Phillips, it's obviously impossible for an adult to worship the concept of God that exists in the mind of a child of Sunday school age. I mean, God bless them. I think often children have a bigger view of God than we have. Unless he's prepared to deny his own experience of life worships and serves a God who is really too small to command his adult loyalty and respect. And somehow or other folks, if, if we're going to be involved in the healing ministry, we, we, we need somehow or other to expand our own horizons of God. But God isn't phased by the confusion and the complication of the people that we're trying to minister to. There, there are no boundaries to his knowledge, you see. There are no boundaries to his presence. There are no boundaries to his power. And uh, so I, that's, that's actually what we're involved in. I, I'm sure you know the Father's love letter. Well, because you know it, I'm going to speak over you again today. My child, you may not know me, but I know everything about you. It's all scripture. 
I know when you sit down and when you rise up. I am familiar with all your ways. Even the very hairs of your head are numbered. For you were made in my image, and in me you live and move and have your being. For you are my offspring. I knew you even before you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. Really? You were not a mistake. For all your days are written in my book. I determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live. She just got a house that's becoming her home. How about that? Well, I determined the exact time of your birth and where you would live. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knit you together in your mother's womb and brought you forth on the day you were born. I have been misrepresented by those who don't know me. I'm not distant and angry, but I am the complete expression of love. It is my desire to lavish my love on you simply because you are my child and I'm your father. I offer you more than your earthly father ever could, for I am the perfect father. Every good gift that you receive comes from my hand. For I am your provider and I meet all your needs. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope. Because I love you with an everlasting love. My thoughts towards you are countless as the sand on the seashore. I rejoice over you. I've got goosebumps. I rejoice, Jim, I rejoice over you with singing. It's a God. I will never stop doing good to you, for you are my treasured possession. I desire to establish you with all my heart and all my soul. I want to show you great and marvelous things. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Delight in me, and I'll give you the desires of your heart. For it's I who gave you those desires. I'm able to do more for you than you could ever imagine, for I am your greatest encourager. I'm also the Father who comforts you in all your troubles, Jim. When you're brokenhearted, I'm close to you. As a shepherd carries a lamb, I've carried you close to my heart. And one day, I wipe away all tears, every tear from your eyes. I'll take away all the pain that you've suffered on this earth, for I'm your father, and I love you as I love my son, Jesus. For in Jesus, my love to you is revealed, for he is the exact representation of my being. He came to demonstrate that I am for you, not against you, and to tell you that I'm not counting your sins. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you. I gave up everything that I loved, that I might gain your love. If you receive the gift of my son Jesus, you receive me. Nothing. Nothing, nothing will ever separate you 
from my love again, come home. And I'll throw the biggest party heaven has ever seen. I've always been father and will always be father. My question is, will you be my child? I'm waiting for you. See, Jesus healed. Somehow we've got to communicate this stuff. Brothers and sisters, unless we know this deep, deep, oh, it's, it's, it's beyond our feelings and our emotions. It's beyond our reason and our understanding. Unless we know it deep, deep, deep within our being that I am secure in God, my Father, that we'll never be able to minister that into the lives of others who are there. Well, there's the first thing that I wanted to share with you. Why did Jesus heal? He healed in order to express and demonstrate the nature and the character of God. Secondly, he healed because of the deep compassion of his heart. I referred to this in, when I was reading at the beginning of the last session, Mark chapter 1 and verse 41. Remember the man with leprosy who came to Jesus? says in verse 41, filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. You'll notice on your notes I've put in a bracket a very strange-looking word, splagnesesthai. I mean, you try and say that with false teeth. <laughs> Splagnesesthai. It actually has to do, would you believe, with the bowels. Splagnatha. And uh, in the original Greek language. Uh, and re really, what com this is the word for compassion. It means in the very depth... Of, of our being. It's not just a transient feeling. It's not just a knee-jerk reaction. It's something that, that is, uh, has become deeply embedded in the, the very root and foundations of our nature. Matthew chapter 14 and verse 14 when Jesus landed on the, the other side of the, the sea and saw a, a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So that's the second reason why Jesus healed. Because of the compassion of his heart. And I want to say to you folks, you know, Often we get tired in ministry. I mean, I don't know about these two guys who are sitting here at the front. Maybe, maybe they don't get tired in ministry, but it's, sometimes it gets very wearying. And, and sometimes we do stuff just because we do stuff. And what I want to say to you as your brother this morning, never allow your compassion for people to be eroded. That when you see need, it would affect you. 
deeply. You see, Jesus came to mend what is broken, to heal what is sick, to rescue what is lost, to release what is imprisoned, to care for what is forsaken, to cleanse what is soiled, to restore what is damaged, to comfort what is grieving, and to strengthen what is weak. That's our ministry. Hey. See, the Spirit of God came to credit us with the risen life of Jesus. Splagnes thy Compassion. Uh, during the World Cup over in South America, uh, the, the, the iconic view was of a, a huge statue of Christ. You may remember uh, overlooking uh, Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. That statue is 90 feet tall. 90 feet. It weighs 1,320 tons. Well, you'll get this off the internet, but I just thought I'd mention it to you. The head alone, Jesus' head, is nine feet tall. That's, that's more than half my size again. That's, that's just the head. And the span from his, his arms are wide open from fingertip to fingertip is 63 feet. And his eyes have no pupils. And pupils suggest vision. And there are no circles in his eyes which suggest sight. The eyes have only a little slit. And that is a poor representation of Jesus however overwhelming these statistics are. Because fundamental to our understanding of Jesus is the compassion of his heart that shines through his eyes. I was speaking at a conference down in North Devon. Well, it must be about two and a half months ago now. And it lasted a whole week, this conference. And somebody for the conference had actually painted a picture of Jesus 12 feet tall. It took, I, I met her, the artist. It took her the best part of a year to do it. I mean, it's more than double my size. Huge, huge thing. And they'd, they'd put this picture up behind the stage. And there were two things that impressed me about that statue. I thought it was a, an excellent painting. It was such a privilege to climb onto the stage and stand at the feet of... I know it's only a painting, I understand that. But two things about it that impressed me. One was the hands. The hands were reaching out like that. As if to say, come on, you're so welcome, come on. The other thing that impressed me, I don't know how she did it, were the eyes. There was tenderness. There was compassion. And so Jesus healed 
Secondly, because of the deep compassion of his heart. And I wanted that we would just notice that second thing. Thirdly, Jesus healed in order to fulfill prophecy. And the two scriptures that I put down, if I could reverse the order, I put the Matthew scripture first and the Isaiah one. Second, actually Isaiah was prophesying 700 years before the record of Matthew. And this is what Isaiah, you know this, folks, but I want you to be sure about it. Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But, says the prophet, he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace, do you remember? Shalom, sense of well-being, being well, was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. That's what prophecy says. Matthew 8, verses 16 and 17, when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to Jesus and he drove out the spirits with a word, and he healed all their sick. That's what it says. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. See? This is to take a... I know that you know this stuff, but I want to put this stuff together for you this morning. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, he took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. What, what am I saying? I'm saying that healing flows from the cross of Calvary. Jesus died not only to deal with our sin, he died to deal with our sickness. That's what the Bible teaches. I've been deeply affected by the ministry of John Stott, now gone to be with Jesus. He says there's wonderful power in the cross of Christ. It has power to wake the dullest conscience and melt the hardest heart to cleanse the unclean, to reconcile him who is afar off, and to restore him to fellowship with God, to redeem the prisoner from his bondage and lift the pauper from the rubbish heap, to break down the barriers which divide men from one another, to transform our wayward characters into the image of Christ, and finally, to make us stand in white robes before the presence of God. I love it. I've, I've tried to unpick that for you. Jesus died to waken my conscience, to melt my heart, to cleanse my life, 
to reconcile my hostility, to restore, to restore my estrangement, to redeem my captivity, to lift the destitute, to break down barriers, to transform character, and to prepare us for God's presence. But there's one thing that's missing, and I've added it, to heal what is sick. Because healing flows from the cross of Jesus, and Jesus died not only to cleanse our sin, but also to heal our sicknesses. That takes us into number four. <clears throat> Jesus healed so that God would be glorified. You see, for this, this really calls in question, why, why, why are you involved in this ministry? There are a number of answers to that. You could say, well, I'm involved in this ministry because of people and their need. Or I could be involved, I'm involved in this ministry because it, it gives me a focal point in my living. Or you could say, I'm involved in this ministry so that God will be glorified. See, the ultimate reason for healing is to honor God. In John chapter 9, verse 8, it's round about the, the, the man who was born blind that Jesus healed. And uh, verse 3 of chapter 9 says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. So God be glorified. And you'll be familiar with John 11, which is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Did I not tell you, verse 40, that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Glory is a very funny word, isn't it? I mean, we use, what if, if I were to say, what do you mean by glory? What does that mean? There are actually two strands that lie behind this word. There, there's the idea of fullness of weight, of comprehensiveness, of completeness. That's one strand of this word glory. The, the other strand is, is brightness, splendor, radiance, brilliance. And these two strands come together in the word glory. You see, when we talk about the glory of God... We, we mean the fullness, the completeness, the weight of God. This isn't superficial or skin deep. This is something that goes deeply into the heart of who God is. And Jesus says, that's why I'm healing. That's why I'm raising the dead so that the glory of God can be seen. My uh, predecessor at Gold Hill, a uh, man called David Pawson. David's my friend and uh, has been my friend for many, many years now. And uh, 
I followed him, and I found that difficult. Actually, I found his shoes were far too tight for me to walk in. Led to a spiritual crisis. I'll tell you about that sometime, but not today. That had to do with David. had to do with the pride of my own heart, but that's another story. David had a big brain, has a big brain. He, uh, amazing man, he, he understands Hebrew. I mean, anybody who understands Hebrew, as far as I'm concerned, has a big brain. <laughs> In the same way as anybody who understands mathematics has a big brain. This is how David translates the 23rd Psalm. Listen, just, just enjoy this. The only God who really exists, the God of the Jews, cares for me as an individual. The Lord, Yahweh, it's the Hebrew verb to be. That's why he translates it, the only God who really exists, the God who really is, the God of the Jews. That was the name that God gave. I'm trying to explain what actually he's translating cares for me as my shepherd, cares for me as an individual, like a shepherd cares for his sheep, so I'll never like anything that I really need. You're, you're listening and looking at a man today who comes from nothing. I come from a very ordinary family. I come from a good family. My mum and dad were good people, godly people, hard-working people. I went out cleaning offices with my mum before I went to school. That's my background. And I'm standing in front of you today as a, a testimony to somebody that God has provided for throughout the whole of my life. Not only for me, but for Anne and for our four children. And that's what the psalmist is saying. I'll never lack anything that I really need. We've got to convey this, folks. He forces me, forces me to rest where there is abundant nourishment. Then he moves me on, making sure that I have constant refreshment. He puts new life into me when I'm exhausted. He keeps me on the right track to maintain his good reputation. And that's the reason I'm reading it. He keeps me on the right track to maintain his good reputation. His, his reputation is glory. Hey? And, and, and Jesus healed and raised the dead in order to demonstrate and uh, make sure that God was glorified. Even if I travel through a deep, dark ravine where danger lurks in the shadows, I'm not afraid of coming to any harm because you are there right beside me, your cudgel to guard and your crook to guide, I feel quite safe. <laughs> you lay the table for me in full view of my helpless foes. You treat me as an honored guest and put on a lavish spread for the rest of my days. Nothing will chase after me except your generous and undeserved kindness. And I'll be at home with this God. as long as I live. Wow. Fourthly, Jesus healed so that God would be glorified. Oh, folks, get, get involved in this ministry. 
It's close to the heart of God. He wants us to know what he wants us to know. You see, part of the key to the Christian gospel is it's a gospel, it's good news of revelation. God doesn't play hide and seek with us. God wants us to know who he is, what he's like, what he does. This is God. Number five. Jesus healed to stimulate faith back in this John chapter 9 passage and verses 35 to 38. It's about the man who was born blind. Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out. You see, the religious religious people uh, were really struggling, particularly the Sadducees, were really struggling with the miraculous and the supernatural. They had a problem. Actually, people still have a problem. People in the church have a problem with that. See, we've lived for such a long time in the abnormal. We call it normal. And when we, when we touch God's normal, we call it abnormal. We're funny people, really. This is God. God is it's God, you see. He's, he, he's not just a jumped-up man. He is God. And so what he does is beyond our reason and beyond our ability very often to explain, no matter how hard we try. And so Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when Jesus found him, this is what Jesus said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He says. Tell me so that, uh, the man says, tell me so that I might believe in him. That's what the blind man says who had been healed. Now so. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, He's the one speaking to you. Wow. The man said, Lord, I believe. Oh, you, you see, he didn't see him. Now he sees him. So you're the one. And he worshipped him. Jesus healed in order to stimulate faith. And uh, then in John 14... Oh, I love John chapter 14. Believe me, when I say I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. Restore, O Lord, the honor of your name in works of sovereign power. Come shake the earth again that men may see and come with reverent fear to the living God whose kingdom shall outlast the years. Oh, what a ministry to stimulate faith. And Eva, I've gone beyond my time again. And I've still one more thing to say. I hope I'm not affecting the folks who are preparing some lunch for us. But let me just very quickly speak about number six. Jesus healed to demonstrate that he was doing what God is doing John chapter 8 and verses 28 and 29. I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. Oh, before you ever get involved in a healing room, just make sure Jesus is in the house. The one who sent me is with me. 
Do you know, it's very easy, very easy, particularly as you grow older, to become a professional. God, deliver me from that. You get to the place where you think, I know how to do this. No, you don't. No, you don't. Oh, I can preach a sermon. I've preached hundreds, maybe thousands, over the years. I could conclude, I know how to do this. No, I don't. Unless God is in it. All I'll do is touch minds, but never change lives. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Let me finish this session with a little story. Kim's dad pulled off the road onto the hard shoulder to help a woman with a flat tire. I presume it was her car that had the flat tire rather than the woman, but I'm only reading what I've found written. While he was lying under her car, another vehicle swerved onto the hard shoulder and the car was shoved onto his chest. His right thumb was torn off at the joint. Five of his ribs were broken and his left lung was pierced and began filling with blood. His wife, who's barely five feet tall, placed her hands on the bumper of the car and prayed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll look at that in the third session, uh, what it means to minister in the name of Jesus. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And she lifted the car off his chest, five, five feet of her, lifted the car off his so he could be dragged out. Some weeks later, she found that she'd broken a vertebrae in the effort. She didn't know at the time. Kim's father was in a deep state of shock, was taken to hospital. Doctors prepared him for emergency surgery. One of the surgical team said, his thumb won't do him any good if he's dead. I mean, they're very smart, these people in the operating theater. Suddenly, let's listen to this. I mean, either this is true or this man's a liar or she's a liar. Suddenly, spontaneously, his skin changed from ashen to pink. He experienced a miraculous healing. He invited the surgical team to join him in singing, Fairest Lord Jesus. I mean, can you imagine? Here's a man lying on the operating table, <laughs> dying. And suddenly they notice his skin changes color. And then he sits up and he says, Would you join me? I'd sing it too. It's a great song. Fairest Lord Jesus. He invites them to sing. They didn't even bother to hook him up to oxygen. He didn't find out until later that this was the precise moment his father-in-law, who was also a pastor, had a, who was a pastor, had his congregation start to pray for him. Are you sure that your ministry is backed by prayer? See, it's not only the ones who are out on the front line. Are there sufficient people here who are committed to pray into this ministry? Sometimes, I picked up this story from a book by John Ortberg. I love his stuff. Sometimes these stories have a not very credible source. That's true. In this case, however, the subject, the man who was under the car, who 
got his thumb ripped off and his five ribs broken and blood in his lungs and so on. The subject was James Loder, a professor at Princeton Theological College. His life was not only saved, but changed. Until then, although he taught in the seminary, God had been mostly an abstract idea to him. Now Jesus became a living presence. Kim, his daughter, says that her father's heart grew so tender that he became known at Princeton as the weeping professor. He began to live from one moment to the next in a God-bathed, God-soaked, and God-intoxicated world. See, that's the end product of what you do. There'll be men and women who live in a God-bathed, God-soaked, and God-intoxicated world. Hallelujah. Oh, guys. Oh, guys, what a privilege to be together today to explore this stuff. I'm not here simply to give you information. You get this information. You probably had this information. See, today, as far as I'm concerned, today... It's not an education day. Today is an encounter day when, when we meet God in a new way. Oh, Father, we already noticed that there are no boundaries to your presence. I've no doubt that you're moving all over the world. I've no doubt that you walk up and down the streets of Perryville and you're looking for people who walk the streets with you. But thank you that you're here. Thank you, Lord. Oh, don't let this day pass until and unless we meet you in a fresh way. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you. We You give us instructions, Eva, what we're, what we're to do now. I'm nearly ready, I think. So we're going to have lunch, and they're going to serve it in the prayer room. And then you can just bring your plates out and just eat from the normal tables and chairs out here. We've been trying to do it very quietly. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a bit of an afternoon tea later on. I don't oh. want to spoil the surprise. Oh, <laughs> <okay>. <laughs>
Straightforward. Could be easier. Um, 20 minutes? Okay. Ish? Yeah, it must have been about that. I arrived too early, actually. 